This is our second installment, part two of the what? Diary of a wimpy Christian. Good. And um, really, I'm going to take my time. I'm going to share this word with you. I want to make sure you grasp this. And not only that you grasp it, but I don't want you to get lost in it. I want you to truly understand it and apply it to your lives. I'm not going to give you the title of the message yet, but in a few minutes, you're going to know exactly what the title of the message is. But um, within this title, I truly believe that as I was preparing for this message, God was calling us for two main things for this week and for the rest of our lives. That as we are called by God and God has placed a calling in our lives, some of those things are to be called out, to go out. Everyone say go out. And to stand out. Say stand out. And I'm going to talk about those two things. Go out and stand out. To be the person that God has called you to be. How many of you have ever prayed that? Lord, um, Lord, help me be the person you've called me to be, right? All right, good. When I look at the Bible and I read scriptures from David that he wrote in his Psalms, and Paul, like a scripture I'm going to read to his letter to Ephesus, he says, and they say something like this, and I truly believe these letters, I truly believe these words. The first one is from David. And in David's penmanship and his wording, he says this in Psalm 139, if you're taking notes, verse 14. It's a verse we've read here many times. Just check it out. He says, I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. And he says, marvelous are your works that my soul knows very well. Can I get an amen for that? And it's not really me. It's the word amen. So be it. That's what amen is. Amen, Psalms 139, 14. And then Paul says this, if you're taking notes, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. It says, for we are what? Okay, thank you. You, you, and you? For we are his workmanship. We were created in Christ Jesus. We were created for good works, which God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Just, just take a minute and let these two verses soak up in you. Let them just fall upon you real quick. David is writing, I praise you, Lord, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works. Marvelous are your hands and the work that they do. And my soul knows this very well. Paul says, hey, we are your workmanship. Some of you are good with your hands. You build stuff. You build models of stuff. You build cars. You, you, you build bikes. You, you build a mess at home. I don't know. You, you, some of you could do well with your hands. You're artsy with your hands. And what Paul is saying is, Lord, thank you for your, for your artistic hand, your your workmanship, which we were created in Jesus. And there were the reason why we were created, Paul says, were for what? For good what? Yes, thank you. A plus. But we were created for good works. I, I love that because in Scripture it does not tell us that we were created to sin and to do evil and to do wrong and to backstab and to gossip and to... But instead it says, when you created me, you created me in Jesus to do, and the church says, good works. Notice what you were called for according to the letter of Ephesus. And God has prepared it beforehand that we should walk. 
When you look at this word workmanship and you look at it, it comes from the Greek word, if you remember, it's called poema. Want to take a guess what English word we get from that word poema? We get the word poem. And in that word poem, look what Paul is saying. You are your poema, meaning that you are the poet. You are the one who writes this poem, this love letter, this person's life. Uh, we could prove that because the Bible, Scripture says that he is the author and the what? Finisher of our faith, meaning that he holds the pen of our lives that writes it out. Can I get an amen? Right? God writes your story. We don't write our own story. God writes it. And Paul says we are your poem. We are, a, we are a product from you is what he's saying. We are your fabrication if you, if you break it down deeper. We, we, we are a thing that you've made, God, made by you. So we read these two verses and what do we see, church? We see that the Lord has created us. If you're writing notes, know that. You're not a mistake. You're not an error. How many of you have had some hard upbringings? Guess what? You're not a mistake. And you are not an error. How many of you have been told some very evil and harsh things about yourself? Anyone? Guess what? You are created. You are a poem. You are a fabrication of our God, of our Lord, in Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen? And when the Lord creates us in creating us, he didn't just place us on planet earth and be like, good luck. I hope you do well. Good luck. It's not what Christ did. He didn't say good luck because if you read the text, all over this text, it's something that is very obvious from Genesis all the way to Revelation. And scripture shows us very well that he has created us and in creating us, it teaches us two things. Write these things down in your notes. Number one, God has called us to him. Can you say that with me? God has called us to him. That's number one. But not only has God called us to him in Jesus Christ, but number two, write this next one down. God has called us to the world. Say it. So in a nutshell, what am I saying? Here it is. Ready? He's called us in. And number two, He's called us out. And all over the text you see that. He calls Abraham in. He called Abraham out. He calls Moses in. He calls Moses out. He, Moses is Moses out. He calls Isaiah in. He calls Isaiah out. He calls Elijah in. He calls Elijah out. All over scripture you see it. He calls Peter in. He calls Peter out. He calls Paul in. Want to take a guess what he does? He calls Paul out. All over the text, he's about those two things. Come to me, go to them. Come to me and go to them. Point number one that I want to talk to you about today is this. Go out. Go out. Open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9. Are we there? Can I get an amen? In Luke 9, it says this. Here's Jesus speaking. And Jesus says this. He says, then he, being 
Jesus saying, then he, he called his 12 disciples. Are you guys seeing this? He called his 12 disciples to him. He called them in and it says, together and he gave them power and authority over all demons. Man, this is good. This is a good verse to memorize. It's a good verse to learn. And to cure diseases. Look at verse 2. He now what? Uh, wow. Wow. He sends them now. And now he sends them to preach the kingdom of God. And I love this next part. And to what? Heal the sick. Guys, let's go back to this verse. Two things we see. Verse 1. Jesus calls in the 12 disciples. And only when he calls them to himself, he is able to give them what? Power and authority. Well, over what? Over demons, over sicknesses and diseases. What do you mean? It means that the prophetic word that he told P Peter, that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church is true. That if you come to Jesus, Jesus, in Jesus alone, you have power and you have authority to cast out demons, to cure the sick, to heal people. To I mean, this is real stuff. And he calls the disciples in. And he says, here it is in me. You have some power. A power that you never had before. You guys were fishermen. You were a tax collector. You were, I'm still trying to figure you out. But in me there is power. In me there is authority over demons. And in me you can heal. And then verse 2 it says that he sends them out. And he sends them out with two things. Preach the gospel and heal the sick. Did you guys grasp this? Number one, he calls them what? Number two, he calls them what? Go out. I'm going to read another verse. Flip your page over and turn to Luke chapter 10 with me. In Luke 10, verse 1, 2, and 3. Once you're there, say amen. Right before we read, we're about to read, Jesus calls some men to himself. And he begins to share with them what is called the cost of discipleship. And as he begins to describe and teach on the cost of discipleship. Hey, some of you are going to die. And they're all like, oh. And he was done with this message. I'm, I read scripture and I realize, wait a minute. He just taught on the cost of discipleship. That's a great moment to leave Jesus. But he had a group of individuals that stuck with him after he taught it. And when they stick with him, at this very moment, look what Jesus does. Look what Jesus says. Ready? Chapter 10, verse 1, 2, and 3. These are the guys that stuck with him. And Jesus says, the word says, Luke, And after these things, the Lord appointed 70 others. And look what it says next, church. He sends them out ahead. He sends them out ahead of him into every city, place where he himself was to go. And he said to them, the harvest is great, but the laborers, the workers, there are not many, they are few, but pray, therefore, that the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. Look at verse 3, ready? Go your way. And I love this part, and I'm going to preach on this part in a second. For behold, what does he say next? I send you as lambs out among what? Among wolves. I read this verse, and I say, Lord, you're in verse, in chapter 9, you are calling them in 
You're giving them power. You're giving them authority to do some great things. In chapter 10, you're appointing over their lives for them to be sent out and to go out and to preach the gospel. But then in verse 3, Lord, I read something that I don't really understand, and it's this. Go out, and as you go out, I'm sending you out as lambs among wolves. Let me tell you what this phrase means. This phrase means what? That as you go out, be very what? Careful. Because you're going to go out to some harsh things, some hard things, some, some things that some wimps will not be able to endure. That if you're going to go out to this stuff, you better make sure that you're ready, that you've been in me. That you have the, the remember, remember last week? If you were here, you missed it. That's part one for a reason. Because you've been filled with the what? With the Holy Spirit. And boldness has now filled you. And, and when you received me, when you came to me, I've given you power and I've given you authority. To, to preach the gospel, but, but, but I don't know what to say. Right, don't worry. You don't have to know what to say because I've given you the spirit in you that's going to give you the wisdom of what to say. And then you're going to know who to pray for. And you're going to pray for people and your own shadows are going to lift them up from the ground. And in the process of telling them all this, he says, but wait a minute. As I send you out, I'm sending you as lambs among wolves. And I'm going to get to that. When I, when I read these two segments of scripture, it, there's a calling in our lives. Do you see it? Or, 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 or should we just wrap it up and say amen? Do you see that there's a calling in the believer's life? And, and it's obvious here that we have been called and we have been called to him. And I wonder here how many of you would say, Pastor Rigo, I've been called by God. How many of you would admit that today, that you have been called by God? God. I wonder how many of you would admit that. Because if you say, yes, that's me, I've been called by God, then here it is. You're calling. What is it? Do you know how many times I meet with people? And what they tell me is, I just want to know what God's call is in my life. What do I do? Who, what do I do? do? Do I pastor? Do I, am I a missionary? Am I an evangelist? Do I become a teacher? Do I become a doctor? Do I become a, a, a psychologist? Do I become a nurse? And I just look at them and I'm like, Dude, I have no idea in a meeting of 30 minutes to an hour what to tell you what to become. But I know that scripture tells us what God's call is in our lives. Those other things are very important to be a nurse or to be a doctor, to be a teacher, to be a pastor. But I know what God's call is on every believer's life here. So, so when you sit down and you have a meeting with someone, so what do you think my call is in my life? Learn scripture and know what scripture says. And God's telling you your call is to get to him. And as you get to him, here's our calling, church. It's to go out to this world. Everyone's calling in here. It is the same when it comes to scripture. And it is that whatever trade, whatever career, wherever God places you in, you have a world to reach. You have a world and a people to minister to. His call for us now is to go out. And I start to meet with people and I look at people and I see my own life. And tell me if you relate to me. People begin to feel dead. People begin to feel dried out. Ever been there? Christians, long season Christians? I'm not talking about the ones that have been Christians for 10 years and, 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 and for 10 days and they're on fire. How about those that have been in this for 10 and 15 and 20 and 30 years? You've ever had times in your life where you're like, I don't think I just want to go back. Anyone? I've been there. I don't think I, I, don't think I want to go back. I, I don't think I want to pray anymore. I, I don't think I want to pick up this book anymore. Ever been there? 
And I wrote this down in my notes. You want to feel alive again? You want to feel alive? Maybe you're here like, I just want to feel alive. I don't know about again. I just want to feel alive again. I'm going to encourage you to follow scripture. Because what the scriptures say, that we become alive, it's very simple in this very command right here, to go out. And the minute that you begin to go out and be who God has called you to be, you will see that in your spirit, you will begin to be alive again. If I call Ali up here, and I ask her, Ali, as soon as you started to foster these parents, did you feel alive? I wonder what your answer would be. If any of you shared the gospel to someone who was lost this week, and I were to ask you, after you did that, did you feel alive? I wonder what your answer would be. After I was done baptizing 12 people last week, if you would have asked me, Pastor Rigo, do you feel alive? You should see what my answer would be. Alive. I feel like my heart is going to pop out of my chest alive. I need a pill or something to calm me down. Forget about alive. I'm too alive. Because when you go out, who God has called you to be, when you begin to serve someone and share the gospel to someone and give away, I'm talking about give away your life, give away your time, give money away. You know, money is not, it's important. Everyone say it's important. But it's not the most important thing. Man, watch. Start giving to the Lord. Start tithing if this is your church. Start giving to the homeless. Start giving to a friend who does not have. Go in Publix and, and buy a gift card and hand it to someone that needs. And, and go shopping and give away and love someone. Take an act of boldness. Do something for Jesus that you haven't done ever or in a long time. I bet you anything that you will come back next week and say, Pastor Rico, I feel so alive. And I'll say, why? And he said, because I went out. And in going out, God did a work in my heart. You're going to see why. See, I look at scripture and I realize that when people cold out, dry out, die out, and they become these wimpy Christians, I start to ask them questions and what are you doing in the last week? What have you done? And they tell me what they've done. Okay. Where's the word of God in your life? Well, it's not there. Where's your worship? Uh, who have you spoken to about the Lord? I've realized something in these individuals. That the reason why they're wimpy Christians, they're dying out, they're colding out. Listen up. It's because they're not going out. Because if they read the word of God, they would see the heart of God. You know how many times I've asked my students, I say they know Jesus. And I should start doing that here because I'm your pastor, which is more important. I should start grabbing some of you guys as you exit. I should go to the back today. And some of you guys are like, I'm walking out through this door. But I ask you, what has God, tell me one thing about God. What has God shown you about himself? Can you describe to me the character of God? Just Can you share something? I wonder how many of you could answer that. What has the heart of God poured out to you today? What have you seen about God? I wonder how many of us could answer that today. And, and I look at Christians' lives and I look at my life and I say, if we just go out, if we read the word and see God's heart and the call over our lives, which is to go out, we will become alive again. Uh, Fonzie has our shirt on. Look at Fonzie's shirt, everyone, as Fonzie stands up for us. Fonzie's shirt, it has our, our mission right under it. And watch our mission. It is to, number one, what? Love God. And number two, I know you can't read it, small print, but what? Love people. Thank you, Fonzie. You should look at Tomali, man. You're doing, you're doing good. You're right, you're right, yeah. Good water break. Love God and, and love people. 
And that's our mission here. And, and not only here at New Life, but as believers, it should be to love God, but then love neighbors, love people, go out, go out. In Matthew 28, 19, if you didn't know this, that little segment of scripture, it's called the Great Commission. Let me tell you what that symbol, that, what, another way you could paraphrase that into. It's called the Great Send-Off. And in the Great Commission, the Great Send-Off, it begins with an awesome phrase. Anyone want to take a guess what the phrase of the Great Commission is, the Great Send-Off? Watch this. Go, therefore. Sounds like going out to me. Here are the disciples. Jesus Christ resurrected. And they're like, what do we do now? And Jesus is like, what do you do now? Did you not live with me for about three years? And you're asking, what do you do with me now? This is what you do now. Ready? Go, therefore. Where? And Jesus is like, really, where? And then he keeps on. He says, go, therefore, to all the nations. Go and make disciples and baptize them and teach them everything that I've taught you. And as you go, know this, I am with you to the end of age. The great send-off, the great last commandment to the disciples. You want to know what it was? To go out. To go, therefore, to all people, to your neighbor, to all nations. And I, with that introduction, I want to jump into a text today. And it's Paul's letter to Corinth. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 3 with me. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, look what it says, Paul writing here. I'm going to read from the NLT right now so you could grasp this. It says this. Since this new way gives us such confidence, we can be very bold. We're not like Moses who put a veil over his face so that the people of Israel would not see the glory, even though it was destined to fade away. We know the story of Moses. He went up to the mountain. His face shunned. He came down. People freaked out. He had to put a veil to hide the glory of God, and then it would fade away, and he would be able to take the veil off. Well, you know what Paul is saying? Paul says, well, we don't live in those days. You have a better hope and a better glory, and the glory of God lives in your life. So don't put a veil in your face to hide it. You show that glory to everyone and their mothers. You show it off, man. You show the world. And look what he says next. He says, the people's minds, they were hardened. And to this day, whenever the old covenant is being read, the same veil covers their minds, and they cannot understand the truth. And this veil cannot be removed, can only be removed by believing in Jesus. 15. Yes, even today when, when they read Moses' writings, their hearts are covered with a veil. And they don't understand. You want to know what I put next to it in my notes? I put this. Ready? They cowered before God. I said that. In my notes, in the Bible, I put cowards. Cowards. Because they start to open up the word of God, the Old Testament, and they don't grasp it. They, they, they get the glory of God, but they don't understand it. Instead, they hide it, and their hearts are covered with a veil. And they don't understand what God was calling them to do. Even today, there are so many in Israel and so many around the world that believe in this Yahweh, but yet they don't believe in this Christ, and they're wrong. And the scripture teaches us that Jesus in the New Testament is the same I am as the Jesus, the God in Exodus in the Old Testament. He was declaring that he is God. 
And they're here today, and they don't understand who this Jesus is, and they cowered before the word of God. But I love what verse 16 says. Here it is. Ready? But whenever someone turns to the Lord, he's talking about Jesus. The veil is now taken away. How many of you were preached the gospel for a long time, and they were inviting you to church, and they were sharing the word, and in doing that, you couldn't receive it? Because you had a veil and that was blocking it. But something happened one day where you met Jesus and poof, in a second, you're like, oh, how did I get this revelation? Has that happened to anyone here? That's what Paul's talking about. You once had a veil. You once had this callous. You, you once had this layer over your heart and over your mind. But when you turned to Jesus, it was taken away. And look at 17. For the Lord is spirit and wherever the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So all of us who have had the veil removed can see, and now you can start underlining and highlighting, and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord who is the Spirit makes us more and more like who? Like Him. And as He makes us more and more like Him, we are changed into what, church? His glorious image. Man, 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 man. I could just close the Bible. Genesis chapter 1 verse 27 says that God created us, man and woman, in his image. In John chapter 1 verse 18, it says that Jesus came and he took the form here of the flesh to do one thing. Are you ready? To declare the Father. Listen. In John 14, 7, Jesus says to one of his disciples, I want to know the Father. Jesus says this, if you had known me, then you would have known the what? The Father. And then here we see ourselves in Corinthians. And Paul says, church, you want to know your calling. Here it is. You turn to Jesus. Your veil has been taken away. The Spirit of the Lord is in you. Can I get an Amen. And when the Spirit of the Lord is in you, there is freedom because wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, church, say it with me, there is freedom. And as you receive that freedom, the veil is removed. But now you don't live the same, you don't act the same, you don't talk the same, you don't walk the same. As a matter of fact, when the veil is removed, you reflect the glory. You see, you would get excited if you knew the Lord. You are called to reflect the Lord. And, and, and then it says this, and then it's he who has called us to be changed and to be changed into his glorious image. When I read scripture, it teaches me something so important. And that is regal, you are called to mirror Jesus. New life, you are called to reflect your God. We need to see this. And you and I, we ask, well, what is God's calling? Pastor Rico, what do I do? And who do I date? And where do I go? And am I allowed to go celebrate? You know how many times I, people ask me, do I celebrate Halloween? I have a better question. Do you know Jesus? <laughs> My God. My God, do you know Jesus? Because if you knew Jesus, you would know some answers in your life, man. You would know some things. 
You would know what the word of God says about some certain things. You would know who today and not today. You would know what to wear. Oh, I'm sorry. And not to wear. You would know how to go and where not to go. You would know how to say things and not to say things. If you knew the word of God and that the word of God changes you into the image and into the mirror of Jesus, you would know who you're called to be. Image Jesus. And I want you to look at this. Because people ask all the time, I just don't know God's calling. Read the word. Your calling is to look like Jesus. Write that down and don't ever ask me again in a meeting. (laughs) What's my calling? Image Jesus. And then what? Go out. Mirror him. Look like him. I want a church and a brothers and sisters that when we walk out these doors, that we're not these wacky, tacky, wanatikies, mangalikies, craziness Christians, but that we just are real and genuine with fault, with problems, but, but there's nothing that could separate us, like Romans says, from the love of God, no height, no depth, no angel, no demon, no darkness, no light, nothing. I want that when we walk out these doors... And when we walk out these doors, people could say, they're not perfect. Man, she has some issues. He's got some problems. But God, does he look like Jesus? But man, does he image this word. But goodness, do they look right. Romans 8, 29, it says, those that he foreknew, he predestined. Let me tell you what that word predestined means. He has ordained you. To be what? To be what? What has he predestined and ordained you for? My Bible says to be conformed to the image of Jesus. I mean, do we read scripture or do we just read scripture? I've called you in the image of my son. Think about this, church. You actually think God has called some wimps to reflect him? Yeah. But in your wimpiness, his strength is made perfect, Peter says. So we're not wimps in the spirit. We're bold and we're strong. God saw man's condition, the effect it had on him, that he was perishing. So what did God do? He gave. Oh, but some of us don't like to give. Listen, then you don't know God because God is a giver. We become givers. He gave, and he gave by going out. And what did he mean by going out, Regal? He stepped out. He took the form of man in Jesus Christ, our Lord. And he mastered the command of the Great Commission. Go out. Go therefore. And that's exactly what he did. He went out to the cross. For who? For man. So you want to know where your calling is? As I unwrap point number one and point number two is quick, watch this. It's to be like Jesus and to act like Jesus. And Jesus did what? He went out. So as you mirror Jesus, you what? You go out. In his image, we do the same. We go out. And I want you to write this down in your notes. There's no time for wimps. No time for wimps. Are you guys ready for the second point? What did Luke chapter 10, I'm only sharing two points, so it's not, not, oh, no, he's only on number two. Out of two, so you're okay. In Luke chapter 10, verses 1, 2, and 3, you remember that verse I just read to you? You remember? I'll go back to it if you need me to it. After these things, the Lord appointed them. He told them to go out. The harvest is plenty. Laborers are few. But look, let's go back to verse 3. Remember I told you I was going to talk to you about that? 
in verse 3, he says what? Go your way, but behold, I send you out as what? Lambs among what? A wolves. And now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, I want to go, I don't want to take too long in this area, but watch this. He calls us to go out, but he calls us now to stand out because look at this. If you're among wolves, you could pick out a lamb among wolves. So what does Jesus say? Disciples, as I call you out, make sure that as you're called out, you what? You stand out. Notice what he said. He said, hey, lambs, when you go out, don't be like wolves. He says, I send you out as what, though? As lambs among wolves. What? Yes, you stand out. I send you out as lambs, so you stand out. I'm going to share a story. Here's the title of my message. Rapper, producer, actor, and businessman, whatever else his title is, Curtis Jackson. Anyone know who that is? A.K.A. 50 Cent. Just, just... If you don't know who that is, don't worry about it. Get the, get the motive of what I want to do here. This rapper guy, 50 Cent, if you know him, he's big, he's strong, tattoos, he's now taking them off. Very intimidating when you look at him. When he raps, he's very, like, hardcore, like, he's, he's just a scary guy. You don't want to see him in the valley. You're going to go the other way. He's scary. He wears a big chain. He's scary. But he has this persona as this tough, hardcore gangster, et cetera, et cetera. This persona I'll come and mess with me, and you'll see who I am. He, it's, he's a scary dude. But when people meet him, especially journalists, they always are surprised by his humility, by his kindness, and by how well-spoken he really is. And they begin to ask him, what is it about you that I feel like you're two different people? When I meet you and I can sit alone with you, you're very nice, but when you're out in the public, there's something very strong about your presence about you. And this guy, Curtis Jackson, 50, he has a philosophy that is titled the lion in the room. Let me explain to you what this philosophy is. Reporters ask him, what is it about you that you're so intimidating but yet very respectful and very kind? And his reply is always the same. Listen, because this is the meat of my message. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to close now. I'm coming down the hill. I'm not closing yet, but I'm going to close. Watch this. Some of you are like, yes, No. He replies with this, if there is a room full of people and someone walks in the room, trust me, I tried my best. I wanted to bring a real lion to church today. But our church is not at that place yet where we have connections to bring someone from the zoo to bring a lion and to sit them here. I was going to do it, but mark my words, one day we will preach with a lion on a stage. We'll get there. We're going to get there. We're not there yet, but we're going to get there. But he says that there's a room full of people and someone walks in with a lion and the lion is chained up and he's walking around with this lion and everyone's talking in a room. He says everyone's attention is going to shift over to that lion. And that man can say, don't worry, he's tamed, he's not going to attack, he never has, he's okay. Everyone in that room, as they're speaking, conversing with one another, <laughs> I love this, they won't be able to stop themselves from focusing on that lion because as they're talking, they know there's a lion in the room. And as they're talking, they're always going to stop their talk and look at the lion because they know what the lion is capable of. They know that at any second, if that lion really wanted to, he could strike and destroy everyone in that room at the same time. And he says, so when that man walks in, everyone just is always staring. He's just a lion in a room and it's scary. When I talk about wimpy Christianity and I look at our walk in our life, this is a call for bold men and bold women. No wimps here. Amen? Yeah. 
See, when you're called to go out and to stand out, we need to expect some things. And some of the things that we need to expect are things like persecution and hardships and enemies that will rise up against us. Wolves that come to us for various reasons. I'm going back to the line. Don't worry about it. For various reasons. And scripture shows us that. Some of them are jealous wolves. Everyone say jealous wolves. You could ask Daniel. Daniel was going to, the king says, you need to pray for a whole day. You can't seek me. But Daniel said, heck no, I won't go. He goes to his home as it was custom. Then he prays three times. But three of the wolves show up to his house, look through his window still, and they say, King, we went to Daniel's house and we caught him praying, not to you, but to his God. The king was furious with Daniel. He says, call him to me. And he sticks Daniel in a den filled with lions to kill him. Can you say jealous wolves? But Daniel did not back down. He knew God's call. And his call was to go out and to stand out even if it means persecution from the wolves. You look at Jesus' life and he looked at his 12 disciples and calls them in. And he says, I've called you, but one of you is of Satan. I love that. I love that verse. Wow. Can you imagine being one of the 12 and Jesus said, one of you saying, who is this? It means, who is it? Who is it? Oh my God, I'm so confused. I wouldn't see for days knowing that I could be from Satan I don't know. He knew that there would be one in his group that was a wolf. One who had a different plan. One who had a different agenda while playing the role of a sheep. You know what Matthew 7.15 calls that? Wolves in sheep's clothing. But these wolves, they at times get into our group and into your group. And they become loved by others. And they're out though for something. And I want you to know something that as you are called to go out and stand out. Standing out is not always the popular thing to do. We can all fit in if we want. Listen, we could cuss like they cuss. Yeah, I'm not going to give you an example, but yeah. You could be perverted like they're perverted. You could watch what they watch and hear what they hear. You can go where they, can, where they go. You can look how they look, but that does not look like standing out to me. Isn't that a lot of Christianity today, though? In Matthew chapter 10, 32 through 33, what does Jesus say? Everyone who acknowledges me publicly on earth, will I not acknowledge them publicly before my Father? And anyone who denies me here on earth, I will deny them before my what? Father. Are you guys grasping this? Standing out is not always popular here on earth. Jesus stood out, he got the cross. Daniel stood out, he got the lions. Paul stood out, he got execution by the chopping blocks. Stephen stood out, and he got stoned to death, just to name a few. In scripture, and even still today, standing out is not a popular thing to do. And you're like, well, what do I do? What do you do? What do we do? We don't fit in. We don't want to be like everyone else. We want to be the lion in the room, church. That's what we all call. Look at the celebrities. You got Miley Cyrus. You've ever heard of her? Older people have heard of her? Younger people, you've heard of her? Miley Cyrus, half naked, for the millions of watchers, having sexual movements on live TV to another man, all because she's trying to stick out. You got people like Lady Gaga putting things on her head and on her face and saying things. All trying to stick out. And I could go down the list of artists and movie stars, celebrities. And what they're doing is, 
They're trying to stand out. But what really, what it is, is they're just doing what everyone else is doing. They're just being creative with it. Am I wrong? But you see, when it comes to us, we're not wimpy Christians. We're the lion in the room. We go out and we stand out and we make Jesus known and we don't worry what the outcome is because Colossians 1.17 tells us that he holds all things together and he holds our lives together, church. So I don't care if I don't fit in. I don't care if I don't do what they do. I don't care if they don't think I'm cool. I could care less if I don't curse like they curse. I don't care less if I don't get drunk like they get drunk, get high like they get high, go to the places where they go. Because I'm different. I'm the lion in the room. And when I walk in, everyone's going to know there's something different about him. What is he capable of? That's what I want. I want that I walk in. I'm not talking like the rest of people are talking. I'm not looking like the rest of the people are looking. I want that when I walk in, the whole room needs to shut up because the lion of the room just walked in and I'm going to represent the lion, Jesus Christ, our Lord. I need you to get this. We are called to be lions in a room. I don't care what people are conversing and what they're saying and how they're living and what they're doing. They all sound alike. I want them when I walk in, there's something different about us here at New Life. What's him? Who's that? What's that group doing? What's different about them? You know what's different? That at any minute they could attack and they could strike and they could share a gospel that will change your life forever. Lay hands on you that will resurrect the dead. Man, if we could just know that boldness. If you could just be bold and lay on, a, lay on top of a sick person and breathe your breath on them and see them resuscitate. I dare you, man. Preach the gospel. Be a lion in a room. Why should I do this? Because there's no other call. I'm going to ask the worship team to start getting ready to come up. And I'm going to end with a story. Daniel chapter 3. And Daniel 3 is very important. Daniel 3, this is what's happening here. King Nebuchadnezzar is in power. And as King Nebuchadnezzar is in power, guys, look what happens. Daniel chapter 3 verse 1 says this. Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image. Everyone say image. And it was of gold and it was this high and this wide and all that stuff. And he set it up in the province of Babylon. Look at verse 2. Nebuchadnezzar sent word together to everyone that had power, pretty much. And he said to them, as he declared them, he said this. One of his heralds, one of his voicemen said this. It is commanded for everyone that's here today, verse 4. That at the time that you hear the sound of all the instruments. The time that you hear all the singers sing and all the musicians play. You will fall down and you will worship the gold image which King Nebuchadnezzar built of gold. And whoever does not fall down at worship this gold image shall be casted immediately, cast immediately into the midst of a burning fiery furnace. So at that time when the people heard the sound of all the instruments and the voices of all the singers, it says here that the nations, they fell down and they worshiped the gold image. Guys, 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 guys. A lot of evil is going on right now. They're making idols. Everyone know this. Making idols is against God. Idolatry is wrong. And they're making idols. They're worshiping other gods. 
similar to Miami, our world, 2013. Idol worship is so big here. Maybe you don't worship or you don't set up an idol of gold that goes 16 feet high. It might not be an image of gold, but maybe it's an image of money, an image, an image of sports, image of vanity, image of whatever. Huh? Got any idols in your life? If I ask you, church, when are idols made? Do you know the answer? The answer is this. When your worship is wrong. How many Christians are there today that call themselves ferocious Christians for God? Lions in a room. They proclaim this one God in three persons. They proclaim this gospel. They go to church. They have, but yet, in their lives, they have numerous idols. I'm going to make a point. Because the Bible says, James 4, 5 says, what do you think the scriptures mean, church? When they say that the Spirit of God who is in you is filled with envy. You guys, Exodus confirms James. He says, you have no other God but me. Do not make yourself an idol. What do you mean? Yes, of any kind. I'm not just talking about the 16-foot idol that Nebuchadnezzar built in Daniel 3. Any kind of idol. Any image of anything that is in heaven or on earth or in the sea. Don't do it. New life. When something or someone takes your attention away from God, and takes God's place, it becomes an idol. It could be a child, a spouse, a job. I know people that have placed their jobs over God and they're no longer with God anymore. It became their idol. <laughs> I know people that have placed ministry before God. Dangerous. It became their idol. Anything that takes you away. So I'm going to ask you now again, are there not idols in our lives? That we've given positions when it belonged to God. But in verses 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, all the way to 18, something happens. Everyone bows down and begins to worship this idol of Nebuchadnezzar. And they begin to worship him. But three men, Hebrew, Jewish, Israelite men, stand back while everyone is bowing and they cross their arms and they look. And their names were Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Powerful names. Mess with them. But these guys were special because Nebuchadnezzar loved them. Because God placed them in a sinful place. To bring glory to his name. This is a lesson to be learned here. You might work for a company that's not Christian or for people that are not godly. It doesn't mean to quit and give your two weeks in. You might live in a family that is the almost ungodliest family. It doesn't mean to stop talking to your family. You might have some friends that you feel like, I need to just never talk to them again. That's not what I'm, there might be some friends, yes, but no, you don't stop talking to your friends. Because you never know what God is trying to do. 
God might be sticking you in that job and in that family among those friends so that you could proclaim the power of Jesus Christ your Lord. Hey. So before you quit your job, set a meeting with me. Don't just quit and say, well, I live and I work in a secular place. I'm going to look at you and say, good. Because God needs some lions in those places. Well, my family is wicked. Good. Because God needs some lions in your family. Oh, but, but you don't understand my neighborhood. I got to move. Listen. God needs some lions in your neighborhood. Don't quit. Don't give up. Don't walk away yet. Because God might be using you right there where you're at to bring the nation back to Jesus. And these three men stand up and said, we will not worship your God. Nebuchadnezzar says, bring him to me. And they bring him to him. And they said, crank up the furnace seven times harder than what it was. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego take off. And as they take off, look what verse 16 says. It says that they answered and said to the king, Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. Basically what? We're the lions here. You're a king and we're under your rule. But don't ever get confused. We're the lions. Hey, that's like if President Obama walks in here. And he tells me, do this. And I say, hey, I don't have to answer you. They told the king, we don't have to answer you because before we ever answer the man, we answer to God. And then he says, if that's the case, you want to throw us in the fire? Then our God whom we serve, he's able to deliver us from the burning fire. And he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But my favorite verse is the next one. Everyone say, but. But if he doesn't, let it be known to you, O king, that we don't serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you've set up before us. There will be times when God will place the redeemed in dark places not so that you question and say why am I here but he's given you favor there so that you can proclaim Jesus in darkness three young men wolves are after them and as Christians we follow God's order before any man if you fear God you will never fear man Oh man, I mean that. And they stand before a king. And maybe you're here today, you say, Regal, I might get fired. I might be made fun of. My family might outcast me. In this case, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, we might get killed. I know that might happen to you. But there's something greater in this lesson. You also might be promoted. You also might be taken through a journey of faith that you've never been in. You might be thrown into a fiery furnace. And Jesus might meet you there. And you might walk out. And the President of the United States 
might have to tell the whole country we're changing our laws. Everyone bow down to the God of theirs, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. If you know the story, you know what I'm talking about. But I love the response to the king. We don't need to defend ourselves before you. If we're thrown into this fire, God who we serve will save us. He will rescue us from your power. But if he does not, I want to make it clear to you, king. Can you imagine talking to a president? Hey, 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 your highness. I want to make it clear to you that if he does not, I will not serve your idols. I will not serve your gods. Church, there's no time for wimps. He's called us to go out and to stand out. We are bold. And if we are called to go out, then we are called to stand out. And as we stand out, and as we are bold, we're bold against the enemy. We're bold against false gods. We're bold against idols. And maybe you've built up idols in your lives. Well, it's time to boldly confront those idols. Amen. We're bold against the pattern of the world's flow. We're bold against others' behavior and actions. We're bold against threats. We're bold against other wolves. When we walk into a room and everyone is similar to one another, not us, we are different, church. We are called to go out and to go into that room and stand out. Not to sound like the chatter of that room, not to look like the appearance of that room and not to be set to the atmosphere of that room. We are called to be the lion in the room that people see us and that they will say what is different with them. What are they capable of? of capable of? Are they going to do this here right now? This is not the right place. But I'm telling you, New Life, there's no time for wimps. It's time to go out and stand out. And that we can look at this world and say this. Sorry, world. We do not need to defend ourselves before you. The God whom we serve has saved us. He has rescued us from your power. And even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you that we will never serve your gods. We will never worship your idols that you have set up. We are going to go out. We are going to stand out. And we will be the lions in the room. That's our call. That's our call. Can you stand with me? Oh, Lord.